Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a blustery day here in an empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Mark Oakton, Security Director of InfoSec Partners Group, a cybersecurity service based in Hampshire. Mark, hello. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program today. Now, uh, normally we'd uh, charge straight on to the subject of leadership. However, considering the um, different circumstances we find ourselves under, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you how COVID-19 has affected your operations. Uh, well, for us, operations um, have ramped up, to be honest. We are not doing the same work we normally do, but we've had to change uh, significantly because clients have needed urgent uh, work and help to get them set up to work purely remotely. So mm-hmm. um, more work than usual and, and challenging quick work, especially when we're all remote, but um, everybody's still, most still working. Um, and yeah, lots not of client work. Well, we have heard quite a lot in the media recently about the, uh, the, um, somehow uh, vulnerable nature of some of these leading uh, video conferencing uh, uh, softwares uh, and services uh, and also uh, working from home does open you up to uh, uh, quite a few uh, vulnerable areas. What can be done by businesses to ensure uh, a, a secure connection? Well, it's interesting for us because we've worked with supported execs and um, people working from home for many years as well as doing this kind of corporate office standardized security. So we've seen the, these have been threats uh, for many years and it's often been the hacker's easy way in. They go, well, I can't attack the office because it's protected by multiple layers of security. So I'll find out where the execs live, where their directors live, where do their children go to school um, and target them in that area. So it's always been a threat. It's just realize now that it, with everybody doing it, it it's, a big, it's a bigger target. So really, it's the company security department needs to put the same controls or the same level of protection at protecting their executive staff at home than they do in the, in, when they're inside the walls of the offices. Now, do you believe uh, when the COVID-19 crisis is over, uh, we will see a drop-off in the usage of technology? Or do you think that people, now that they've gotten used to it, uh, it's here to stay? Well, I don't believe anybody's used to it yet. I think this is kind of transition and transformation time. Um, I don't, also don't believe that most organizations will go back to the way they used to work. Um, most have once had a desire to move to remote working uh, more and more in the past, but they've been reluctant to because of upheaval and organizational change. Um, so I think it, people will use this as an opportunity, opportunity to drive more remote working. But then again, there are challenges that go with that. Technology can solve some of them. But then again, technology brings with it its own additional, additional threats. Now, um, we must move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? For me, leader means um, leading by example, demonstrating how you want to do 
things. Uh, what I think COVID has also shown the world is that we're all in a people-based business. We're all in service-based businesses and we're all in ultimately in a, in a trust-based business. Longer term, people will buy from companies that they trust. And being a leader is demonstrating to your staff and your customers why people should trust you and why you care. And what would you say is your personal leadership style? Uh, my personal leadership style depends who who the audience is. Uh, usually, um, do the work myself, demonstrate uh, how I would like it done, and then uh, help to uh, coach others to operate in the in the same way. Um, I see mm. my team as very much. It's a collaborative effort. There's very few pieces of work we do that is one person doing that work on their own. Everything is a team. They need multiple um, multiple people to help, but it's the weakest thing that can bring down the quality of the work. If you use kind of sporting analogy, there's no point having an amazing goalkeeper if the rest of your team, football team is, is not very good. You're not, not going to extend to excel. So every member of the team is. Um, is important. Now, of course, uh, one of the big challenges of leading a team within a business is, of course, the inevitable conflict uh, that happens. We we all know that humans aren't infallible. Conflict happens. Sometimes uh, people's work isn't up to scratch. Sometimes people have disagreements. Uh, what is your route to resolving conflict within the workplace? Well, ultimately, I try and look at what the long-term objective. It, 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 in, in the moment of conflict, it, it doesn't matter why you got there or what's happening right now. Um, and many other people in the chain sometimes have a short-term view of what, um, what's going to happen. But ultimately, it's where do you want to get to, what's best for everybody. And whether what's best for everybody might not be what's best financially, for example, for the company. It might be mm-hmm. if there are two or three employees involved, uh, what's best for them individually as people long-term. So really, it's long-term, what is the actual best outcome objective for everybody? Um, and then try and work backwards. What, how can we get there? Let's go back to the beginning of your career. When you first started out your working life, did you have any particular role models or even a set of circumstances that shaped you as you are today? Uh, good question. In my career, um, I see that I have taught myself um, and been motivated to learn and improve myself. I don't see that I had any particular role model. Um, I think most of the people I was working under and alongside weren't very good in many organisations, especially the larger ones. Um, but, and, and if I'd have Follow them, I think I would have taken a very different path. So it is really being a leader of a business. Yes, you've got a responsibility to try and drive the improvement and development of your staff to be the best they can be. But you've also got to instill in them, it's their life. It's their life. It's their career. You've got to make the best of, if you want to be move forward ahead of other people, you've got to take ownership of that yourself. Whether or not you've got a good management structure or mentors or people around you you can learn learn from it's it's still ultimately your 
your life, your responsibility, your um, your career. Mm. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for InfoSec partners? Well, the next 12 months uh, for us is both challenging and exciting, obviously. I mean, the world is a very different place than it was a few weeks ago. Um, I see that a lot of areas will just stop completely, but other areas will continue. But as I said at the start of this, a lot of this is down to people and trust. So we're, we're doing work to help some organizations. We're doing some work with a charity. We're doing some, uh, some work to and develop new ways of working remotely for, for people. So I think see a lot of it is development and improvement work that isn't necessarily linked short term to uh, revenue. I think that's all going to completely change. Um, but it's about at the end of this, in two, three years' time, who stuck around, who did we trust, who did the right thing. Um, so we just got to go with what, whatever happens, try our best to keep, retain all the core staff and, and amazing team we've got, um, but help out, the, more importantly, help the clients. The clients are all in flux, different verticals, different areas, and they all need help. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today, uh, Mark, and I do hope that you can come back on the show when things get back to some semblance of normalcy. Uh, Mark, thank you. No problem. Good to meet you. That was Mark Oakton, Security Director of InfoSec Partners Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very 
fortunate. I think you, you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team 
it is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but 
overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and say, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It it's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've you got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a... a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, 
I'm, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, the player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely—you've mm. got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, you know, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they—they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh sir alf or even ron greenwood managing teams today yes i think so i think yes no Mm. no question at all i think they uh ron greenwood yeah the answer straightforward answer is yes um (laughs) the straightforward answer is yes i can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that, struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? 
Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation and I think that's you completely focus you're always thinking about uh, things thinking about improvements and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, 
all the guests, or any other person therein associated.